I'm so sorry. Kira was in a hurry and he didn't see you. <laughs> We're entering another fight, but we'll be fine. Because Kira will be out there. He's fighting to protect us. Really? Yep. He's gonna go out there and beat up all the bad guys for us. Kira? Yep, that's right. We have to make sure he gets rid of them all. <gasps> Ow! Welcome to It's a Gundam, the best episode-by-episode episode Gundam Seed podcast, where we watch every episode of Gundam Seed, and usually we complain about the animation, or tell you how great it is. My name is Jeremy. You can awaken my sword. I'm Tyler. By the time this comes out, there's going to be a better podcast doing the same thing. My name <laughs> is know. Zach. And I'm Kevin, and I haven't heard any of this before. Yeah, we have super secret special guest Kevin. You may recognize from our other podcast, Last Time on Video Games. Or from all the other times we just mentioned Kevin. We don't mention him a lot on this podcast, I don't think. Probably comes up a few times. That's true, you know that one anime Kevin's in? So, Kevin, what's your history with Gundam? What sweet Gundams have you watched? Actually, not a whole lot. I've caught bits and pieces of various Gundams from, like, catching them on TV, but I haven't actually watched a ton of Gundam. What can you tell me about Gundam? Well, I know they're uh, giant battle suits, and they tend to be painted bright colors for some reason. Because, because camouflage is for pussies. Camouflage is for people who don't have beam rifles. So. <laughs> camouflage is for stuff that aren't already 10 meters tall and moving at multiple dozens of kilometers an hour. And the OHMS team, they have camouflage. Oh yeah, but they're like actually in jungles and stuff. Also, those actually, are small, no, they're still, I feel. Um, but... No, the, those Gundams are still painted red and white. Are they? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, you know. The Zakus are green, but the Gundams aren't. You know, one of the mobile suits in this one has active camouflage. That so. is true. And it's just cloaking with a fancy name. So how much Gundam Seed have you seen, Kevin? Well, I've seen up to this episode that we're going to be reviewing. That's extremely convenient. So you know what the hell is going on. Yep. Did you skip the episode that, oh, I guess we haven't posted this on the internet yet, so. <laughs> did you skip so the episode that you can skip? No, I did not. Ah. So what have you thought of that the series so far? I'm liking it. Again, I haven't seen a ton of Gundam, so I can't compare it to other Gundam series. It's better than them. <laughs> hey, G Gundam is fan-freaking-tastic. G Gundam is amazing, but it's not so much Gundam as it's crazy martial arts anime that for some reason has giant robots. <laughs> but me being an engineer, various points in this show really irk me as they don't seem to follow rules that they set in the show. As an engineer writing those words, it was physically painful. Yes. They seem to, like, really care about it sometimes, and then they're like, and now we're going to ignore that for the sake of... Physics dialogue. applies only for plot. Uh, and for rule of cool. Yeah, but I mean, it's not it's not just that. There's also, like, enemy strength. Some of the combats have kind of not generally annoyed me, but I was kind of like, okay, so I can't really tell who I'm supposed to think is going to win this fight. Well, it depends on who's angstier at the moment, I think. I guess. <laughs> Uh, well, like, I noticed something in this episode, there's, like, one of the mobile suits just, like, constantly firing a bunch of physical ammunition, and he's, like, staying perfectly in place. Like, yeah, I'm pretty sure that wouldn't happen, but... Depends Manoski on the particles. Yeah. Recoil dampeners. Com combat density. <laughs> <laughs> there are no sweet Manofsky particles in Gundam Seed. Wait, are there not? What no. are they scattering to combat density, then? They just have anti-beam death charges. Oh, well. Which, yeah. which release Manofsky that particles. That is just... <laughs> probably. That phrase is... It doesn't make any sense. Anti-beam depth charges? They're not really depth charges at that yes, point. Yes, because what is the point? What is a depth charge? They're more like flak. I think it would be cool with, like, you know, fire the laser flak cannons or <laughs> something like that. Like, that actually sounds neat, as opposed uh, to, I'm thinking depth charges, and it's like, you would use that in, like, a chase where you drop a bunch of mines behind you and hope the enemy runs into them. Well, that's oh, what man. a depth charge is. You're just dropping barrels into the ocean that explode at a certain depth in the hope of pegging a sub. Yeah. That's all they do. So before we move on, Kevin, what do you think of the characters? Because they're the highlight of Gundam Seed. That in the animation is way, way better than any previous series. Except but... for that one episode where no one could get Lacus's face right. Yeah, but there was no mobile suit combat in that. I mean, <laughs> the mobile suits actually... 
Except they, for the they, money saving episode. Yeah, well. <laughs> Generally, I like a lot of the characters. Um, I definitely feel that at least at this point, there's a bunch of them that have been highlighted with, all right, this person has this personality rather than, well, he's got speaking lines, but I don't really know how he feels about any yeah, of this what's because Cousin's they're all personality. They're all delivered in a monotone. <laughs> yeah, oh man. So this is the first episode I watched where, uh, cause he had English lines for me. Man, his voice actor is just so nonplussed to be playing Cuzzy. That's honestly why I probably don't like Cuzzy. Cuzzy actually gets a fair amount to do, but. <laughs> His English voice actor is just so disappointed with that role. <laughs> but, but there are a lot of characters, and I think they do a good job of giving most of them personalities, like Kevin said. We're only 11 episodes in, and we probably have 20 named characters that are kind of distinct and important. You know, maybe as the show goes on, we'll start introducing more of them. Are, are you pro-Zaft or pro-Earth Alliance? Neither. I'm pro-Zaft, <laughs> definitely. I'm pro-ass-kicking. <laughs> so you're pro-Zaft, and no. also pro-Kira. I'm pro-Archangel. <laughs> if anything, I'd be more pro-Coordinator than pro-Zaft. Yeah, uh, well, I feel like they're mostly just fighting for Coordinator rights, which is why I'm on their side. I, I get that, but I also feel like a lot of the Zaft things, they still do stuff that annoys me, even with, oh yeah, this is a war. Oh yeah, they're huge dicks about it, but it's effective. So, <laughs> Well, I mean, there's a difference between, oh yeah, this is effective in a war, but then you have like the politicians trying to make their arguments on why we should be fighting. It's like, no, you, you should be fighting because you deserve these rights, not because you're trying to protect people. Like, what are you protecting them from? Clearly, the Earth forces are no match for Zaft, right? So, Well, that's actually one of the things that confuses me because I'm sitting here just thinking, so isn't this supposed to be like some battle where... All right, so the Earth Forces greatly outnumber the Zaft. Well, it seems like the Zaft can win in even, like, four-on-one situations. So yeah. <laughs> how greatly outnumbered are they? That's why Moo's famous, is because he's the one guy who can take down a single Jin while an entire battle fleet is shooting at them. <laughs> and that might be you not being familiar with Gundam tropes, because Zaft, obviously, has mobile suits, and the Earth Alliance doesn't. And mobile suits always trump not mobile suits. For some reason. Think Battletech. Tanks lose to mechs. I'm just saying it confuses me how the anime itself is trying to justify, oh, well, the Earth Forces just outnumber them. Well, I watched a single mobile suit take out three ships (laughs) a couple of episodes ago by himself without even the ship doing anything. (laughs) And I was just like, oh, so how is the Earth Alliance even in this war? I think that we're supposed to see how important the uh, Gundams are to them, because one of those mobile suits destroying them was one of the Gundams. And it the was. Archangel is the only thing that's mounted an effective defense for the Yeah, it's been, It just hasn't yet. been able to go on the I get offense that, but yet. Even then, there was it was like a regular Jin took out two yep. of the ships by itself. <laughs> I feel like it's been pretty heavily implied, though, that the Earth forces are getting their asses handed to them in this war, and they really should probably just surrender. I think I get that. It just they lead off by going like, oh, it's kind of been, you know, racing towards this basic standstill. Also, Zaf doesn't have like resources or land. Yeah, I was going to say resource distribution might be part of it. Because I've only seen this part of the anime. I really haven't seen a whole lot of the Earth Alliance or Zaf. You know, I've seen two Zaf ships and four Earth Alliance ships. Well, mostly just Rao dicking around because that's what he does. (laughs) Yeah. How great is Moolaflaga? <laughs> On a scale from one to Moo, how great is Moo? <laughs> there are definitely times when I really like him, and then there's other times where I'm just like, why would he be saying that? Why is he doing this now? He seems to almost not flip-flop on his character personality, but I tend to notice just weird things about, huh, I didn't see him saying something like that in this situation. Generally, I like him. It's just every now and again, it's like, huh, I wouldn't have expected him to say that. That seems like a line from Nataro. <laughs> Alright, this week we're watching episode 11, The Awakening Sword, which as I said last week is a sweet title. So let's go ahead and start. We get uh, another uh, previously on. This one is clearly more aimed at people that have watched the series to remind them what's going on emotionally than it is for people who haven't watched the show before. Yeah, this is actually probably one of the more effective recaps we've seen. One thing I did notice about this recap is there's a lot of, like, basically grunt emotions well, because they're <laughs> so, teenagers i get that but i mean there's there i feel like there's a sequence where it's like almost 10 seconds of just mm, uh, <laughs> or at least it isn't flashing between their faces in a reaction shot going ooh, ah, ooh. <laughs> yeah it's not quite Speed that razor it's not quite that fast but there was definitely i was just like huh there was just a lot of grunts in this <laughs> recap for some reason 
Yeah, we don't get the like basic Kiriyamato blah 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 coordinators Zaft Earth Alliance. Instead, we get uh, Athern being mad that Lacus is kidnapped, Flay being upset and accusing Kira of not trying. Lacus trying to comfort Kira and being like, "I'm totes engaged to Athern," because he yep. being like, "Ah, Athern and Kira are friends." The angst, angst. and Sai being like, yeah. "Kira, you better come back and not abandon us forever." Yeah, say Sai being just you know a pretty cool dude, trusting Kira anyway. What the recap doesn't tell us is that Kira decided to take a hostage and give him her back to <laughs> the uh, forces of the enemy. It doesn't show Rao's sweet plan. It doesn't even actually show the hostage exchange. Well, I mean, she's it, just with Kira, then she's with Atherin. But she's I mean, very pregnant. <laughs> it's at least implied that there was that hostage I, exchange. I think it's great if you just have waited a week since you last watched it. Yeah. But if you're just joining us, this is not a great recap. Like I said, it's a very intense moment. So that's probably good. So then we have the opening. Do you have any thoughts on the opening, Kevin? I generally like it. It's definitely not my favorite opening of an anime, but nor is it one where I'm just like, I have to skip this every time or... I will drive myself insane. I like the theme song. That does way more in its favor than most of the animation, honestly. Uh, one thing I actually noticed about the opening just recently is that there's no images of the sword or launcher strike in it. Oh, you're right. I hadn't thought about that, although the ale is the one they use the most often. Yeah, but you you want to sell those toys. You'd think you'd want to try to get a few shots of it in there. True. So the Archangel's underway. Yeah, so once more we get a shot of the Archangel, but this one's a lot more tense, and we find out that Kira is being tried. Basically, Mu is his defense lawyer, and uh, Natarl is the ac accusation, the prosecution. Prosecutor. There we go. And Maru, as captain, is presiding as a judge. Oh, it's a Over his terrible decision to trade their hostage. It was it, just it, a bad idea. I love this. Mu is trying to defend Kira, but clearly doesn't actually understand the regulations to the extent he needs to actually defend Kira. That's true, but there's something really weird that's a difference between the sub and the dub that I want to talk about here, in that Mu is generally a lot goofier in the sub. He's a lot flirtier with Maru earlier on, but they just make him a lot more serious in the dub for the most part. But they make him really goofy in his defense here, and he definitely... In the subversion, like Zach's saying, he doesn't understand the regulations as well as he needs to. But in the original version, he starts out confident and then, like, activates Natarl's trap card. <laughs> Whereas well, in the dub, they kind of play him off as like, oh, stutter, blah, 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 I, I can do this. Stop the Chaos Emeralds. Well, well I, I mean, you can see him right here where he's got the book open, reading the regulations, and later on you'll see Natarl has all of her stuff memorized. Well, it just, it struck me as perfectly appropriate for his, well, considering every time you see him, he's got his shirt, you know, his uniform sleeves rolled up, it's unbuttoned. Here in Kira's defense, he's got his full dress uniform hat, which, not sure where he's been keeping that. Uh, I was actually going to all comment the on the hat. I did not recognize this as Moo for about <laughs> two minutes into this no, because I, of I the was, hat. I was the same thing. I thought he was completely different because he was wearing the hat. He didn't have the tousled hair. His uniform was done upright. <laughs> same with Maru to an extent. She's a little more dressed up, but she doesn't usually have a hat. Yeah, but all the rest of her uniform is the same. Yeah, yeah and she was at least recognizable, like... Especially in this shot, you don't see as much of his hair, so I, I totally get, oh, I didn't immediately recognize him, as opposed to, oh, I at least recognize, yep, that's that's her. So Mu is basically defending that uh, using a hostage like that is against treaties, but Natarl says it comes under exceptions because of the extreme nature of it, specifically that they're in a war. Mu does an okay defense. Maru asks Kira if he has anything to say, and basically he gives his moral argument from before. He didn't rescue her to be used as a hostage, which is fair, but not a great defense at trial. And then Moo comes in with the totally um, inappropriate, yeah, you should be making out with her. <laughs> yeah, the you rescued her to be your girlfriend. <laughs> uh, to which Nataro goes, objection! Nataro is really pissed off at it. He's lucky that he is with terrible soldier captains. Yeah. Well, he's also a civilian, so... Do you mean Moo here? He's, no, Maru. No, who, who is he? Kira is currently under the command of a terrible soldier and terrible military person in general. You keep saying that, and I don't disagree generally, but what has Maru done thus far that's actually bad captaining? 
Well, I mean, not making critical decisions. She mostly lets Nataral do all the major decision making. A lot, yeah, a lot of the combat decisions she lets go to Nataral, and mostly has been a figurehead and not actually done anything in combat. Yeah, but that's what you should do as a captain when your background is mechanics and you have a <laughs> combat officer. That's that, true. That actually makes total sense to me. Picard lets like, Riker do everything. I'm not no saying, one says Picard is a bad captain. No, I'm not saying that's because that I came that up with a Picard man. Inherently bad. But it is easily recognizable that she is not a particularly good combat captain. She's not really a particularly good leader. She's good at letting her people do what they're good at, which is, you know, at least Arguably, half of all good leadership. Yeah. But she does not come off as a particularly strong soldier in a lot of ways. And I think that's also fine. Like, she's she realizes that I'm just the highest ranking person, so I will be captaining this thing. But I'm going to let the people who know what they're doing <laughs> do, their do their jobs correctly. I just want Captain Moo, because I think that would just go better in general. <laughs> you think Maru is a terrible Captain Moo would be even <laughs> I like, more? Know. like, oh, Natarl, God. you do everything. I'm going to be looking at my titty mags. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I just pictured Moo as Scruffy from Futurama. <laughs> Scruffy's all bright. <laughs> Maru tells Kira that because of his actions, he's supposed to be sentenced to death. Which I actually thought was kind of harsh. It's kind of desertion. It's not exactly desertion. It, it is a little harsh given our modern military standards, but it's not too harsh if you look at it historically. Well, it's AWOL, if nothing else. He defied direct orders. He put the uh, ship in a dangerous situation. It is extreme. We would probably go with a more of a life in prison route. But it is a pretty extreme crime, and so... It's also possible they were exaggerating to drive home the point. Well, well I, I think so. that's the case, and we'll get to that in a minute. If you actually look at what it is, it's desertion, hijacking, and taking military assets, depending on how you classify Lacus. Yeah, I was going to say Lacus is a military asset. Well, but the strike but certainly I, is. The oh, strike, yeah. hi he hijacked the strike, he yeah. placed the ship and its crew in significant danger by hijacking the strike... And releasing Lacus, there's no telling what the Nazca would have done. They got lucky. Yeah, I defend Kira's decision, but this more or less makes sense as a sentence to me. I do understand I still that think a bit. I just horrible. I feel like the death penalty sounds extremely hard, especially in a space scenario. You don't want to be murdering off your personnel when although you it don't, is you easier. Yep, just it jettison. is easier, but it's also much harder to reacquire new personnel. Well, I kind of doubt they would carry out the sentence on the ship, even if they were going to go through with it, which, as we find out in the next line, because Kira is a civilian, they can't actually sentence him to anything. Which Not that... technically true, because he's currently subject to military law and military discipline. Yeah, but he can't be court-martialed. Only because they kidnapped him, basically. Maru forced him to come on the ship with them. And this is also part of me is thinking, isn't Kira supposed to be super smart? Wouldn't have he have figured this out? He's you also know, a right, we're gonna. He's a I, teenager, and he's not from this nation, so he doesn't necessarily know how their military law works. I guess, but it, to me, I just felt like, all right, you got to show up to your court-martial. You, you can't court-martial me. <laughs> I mean, he seems the kind of guy that would have, like, read the manual in his free time. On the other hand, this isn't an operating system. He doesn't know how to program it, so... True. <laughs> I, I can see it both ways, but that was just me going, when he just go, well, you can't court-martial me. I'm not military. <laughs> they certainly can kill him, Zach but they don't necessarily have any authority to. Now, of course, in the military, things happen and we just lose the records and who knows what happened all the time, but they wouldn't have any legal authority to do anything to him here. Yeah. Because he's not part of the military. He is basically a hostage. Well, he's currently using their equipment and fighting for them, so he is they're also would be forcing him to. Well, so. he's, he's, they're not really forcing him. No one put a gun to his head and said, fight for us or... We're going to shoot you or the people you rescue. No, they basically just said, fight for us or this entire ship will get blown up and you'll die anyway. So, If yeah. you're an American tourist in Afghanistan because you're stupid and want to hike in <laughs> Afghanistan and you happen to find a US AK-47 and fire it, that doesn't put you under any uh, military authority. They can't court-martial you. They can prosecute you. They can ask you to be extradited, but you're not subject to military law. Conversely, if I was on board a uh, United States Navy ship, yeah, an aircraft carrier, and you I, took one of their... <laughs> and, and I took a fighter jet? I am subject to military law. I don't think you are. They would never, ever let you take a fighter jet if you were not enlisted. <laughs> this is one of those extreme cases where, because this is a fantasy anime at that doesn't rate. really have a real-world parallel. At the very yeah. least, they would do something. 
likely confined to quarters for the remainder of the time. Yeah, well, confined- and that's that's more of what I was expecting, not, oh, we're going to kill you. Well, that seems a bit extreme, but I totally see, nope, you're going to stay on this ship. You know, you're going to be in prison until we going- land, and then you're probably going to be in prison when we land. I can definitely see throwing him into the brig. That's what they do to Amuro in the original Gundam in not quite the situation, but... Close enough. He, yeah, a uh, similar one. But they are really in a tight situation because Hira is the only one that can pilot the strike. So they kind of do have to keep him in decent spirits, at least. They could just throw him in the brig and force him into the strike when they need him. But that would be bad for his morale. I do kind of understand this decision. Nataril is clearly very upset with it when they basically just give him a warning. But I think Mu and Maru, and probably Natarl, who was just outvoted, came up with this plan of, okay, we'll do this as basically a scare tactic and try to get him to take this seriously. Next time I'm scared straight. They really are screwed without him. Yeah, because for some reason, only coordinators can press the two buttons a pilot of Gundam. They mentioned early on in one of the episodes that, like, uh... Kira jacked with the, uh... OS to such an extent that not Mu just isn't entirely it. certain what he did. He entirely reprogrammed it one-handed during an act of combat situation, like some sort of Jesus. Well, and yeah, well, and they also mentioned that the OS wasn't working beforehand. Like, they had the tech, but obviously the controls basically didn't work. They, they worked, they were just not combat ready. You yeah. could move, you couldn't really yeah. evade and move your shield in the way. Versus he made it combat ready, and because he had jacked with it so much, he was the only one who could then continue to work with it. He basically reprogrammed the OS to an to such an extent that he personalized the hell out of the GUI, so he's the only one that actually knows where anything is. I feel like he could teach some... Well, it's actually... Like, only coordinators can pilot mobile suits in this universe. Only so. coordinators have built them up to this point. That's true. Well, and it also, at least with uh, Mulaflaga's mobile armor... That seems more complicated to it me really to pilot because <laughs> he's independently controlling the five gun separate funnels. gun, you know, that's, five separate objects, and it's like that seems way more complicated than at least to me what piloting a Gundam would be it, like. It absolutely is. That's kind of an inside joke that you don't get because you haven't seen previous Gundam stuff. That's kind of hard to explain. But yes, Mu is also special. He's just not a coordinator. He's a new type. But that's never explicitly said. It's kind of an inside joke for people familiar with other Gundam series. Okay. So yeah, Mu is probably like, we should be gentle with him. Mu is definitely the person who knows Kira the best of the three of them. And this seems like a very Mulaflaga plan to me. Well, <laughs> well Mu yes, has it to, does. Mu has to keep an eye on his wingman, which is Basically what Kira is, given the fact that they have a flight-slash-squadron of two. Yes. And they really, really need Kira. So, Nataril is very visibly and clearly upset. She glares at Kira on the way out. She glares at Kira no matter what he's doing. True. But she doesn't verbally object. Although she's actually, compared to the other people on the ship, been sort of more fair with Kira, I guess. I love how... At the end of this, Mu just kind of throws his. Yeah, honestly, Nataral seems angrier with Mu than with Kira. So. Because, well, he just threw the book away. Like, I don't care about this stuff. So we get a shot of Flay, and I actually really like how Flay is animated in this episode. She looks like she hasn't slept in three days. It really And it's does. really creepy, but really cool. Well, one thing that immediately raised a question in my mind was how was she allowed out of her room? Didn't she, like, just try to threaten to murder somebody? Yeah, did no one <laughs> think to, like, maybe talk to her or, like, I'd actually, find her or something? I'd actually forgot that Sai and Miralia apparently were punished by having them clean the toilets for a week. And uh, on his way out, Mood just kind of offhandedly said, yeah, we'll have you do that. So basically, Kira's punishment, along with his friends, is to clean the heads. He says, oh, yeah, we should have you do that, too. But then... It, like, never actually gets done. Well, but the I way Mood like delivers pretty much everything... I would totally buy him saying that and it actually being a thing that occurs just off screen. Back to Flay, basically, I'm really confused why she is allowed out of a room because she broke into the... Why they don't have a lock on the freaking bridge is a better question. Yeah, she broke into the bridge twice and the second time she she threatened to kill their only hostage. We talked about this on the episode you haven't listened to yet. I feel like Natara only came up with the, oh, we should threaten Lacus's life plan because Flay came up with it first, basically, and she was just being opportunistic. And so, in a way, she sort of saved the ship. I guess, but, I mean, she still, like, she broke into the bridge and threatened to kill somebody. Also, and, at least to me, it seems like 
Nobody is reacting to the fact that she seems to be unhinged She's now. still unstable. Yes, yeah. I, also, this is a future. I imagine we know about the symptoms of depression. <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> well, even if we don't know much about the symptoms of depression, her father just died. Shouldn't, like, exactly. somebody be talking to her or... Sai is currently in the process of being punished. <laughs> I kind of chuck that up to the fact that the Archangel has negative crew. They're and, pretty much all busy and no one has time to babysit a... I guess, and, and but the then lock her in her room. Like, the, I know that's bad for her mental health, but you can't have this unstable person wandering around this military ship. Making it worse for the other civilians on board. Because I think the people that would be able to help her get through it and talk to her are either in the process of being punished or working on the bridge. Yeah. Although Flay's cray-cray, so. <laughs> so anyway, Sai finally brings up with Kira that Cuzzy overheard him talking to Lacus about being friends with Atherd. This kind of justifies my theory last week about how Sai basically helped Kira to make sure he didn't just defect. So Flay overhears Sai talking about it, and she goes into anime shock face. So here we see uh, Flay starting to become just a little bit maniacal. I feel like if Sai ever turned on Kira, Kira would just be absolutely devastated. It'd be similar to the situation with Atherin, right? And that would oh, probably yeah. make it worse for him. Yeah. Flay is just kind of hiding in the hall. It looks like she might confront Kira over it, but she just stays there. She doesn't interfere, surprisingly. Like I said, I really love all of the facial animation on Flay this episode. No, yeah, that's definitely very great. She does a lot of acting, end quote. So then we cut over to the Gamow, and we've got Izak and Diarka doing some sweet coordinating bullying of uh, Nickel, who's all like, <laughs> we'd only have 10 minutes to attack them, even if we went super fast. And he's actually like, we'd have ten full minutes. <laughs> Derek is like, yeah, quit being a pussy, Nickel. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go risk our this lives. This is the uh, remember these three guys <laughs> yes. moment. But, but I really like how all three of their personalities, even Diarka, who's pretty subdued, really come out here. And it makes you want to see them get beat up a little bit outside of Nickel. Yeah, you feel bad for Nickel. Poor green-haired Katra. We also get a uh, kind of throwaway line about Rao having to turn around to hand off Lacus to someone who <laughs> take her back to the plants. Basically, Izak's plan, and they kind of act like Izak is in charge, even though the captain's standing right there, nameless and without lines, <laughs> uh, is to chase after the Archangel, and they'll have ten minutes to launch a sneak attack before the Archangel can finally reach the Eighth Fleet. I maintain that the mobile suit forces that Zaf runs are semi-autonomous from the guys that actually drop them off. Kind of <laughs> like Marines versus the Navy. That kind of makes sense. It definitely feels that way, yeah. But it feels less that way with Rao's ship. Although maybe that's just because Rao is higher up. I was say, Rao is a super commander. He actually has, like, five ranks. <laughs> so then we cut over to the Versalius, where Atherin gets a sweet, nice catch <laughs> on Haro. And this we find out another... that he hates Haro just as much as everybody else does. Well, this is also another thing that physics is telling me. That's not how that would work, because he's currently floating, catches an object which should impart momentum onto him, but doesn't. And then immediately drops to the ground Although, afterwards. So. I, I actually like, when he meets up with Lacus, the, we have a symmetry with Kira where he mentions, this is a warship and you should probably not be wandering around, which lines up nicely with how Kira was constantly telling her to stay in her room. Yeah, well, and then she even mentions that. She's like, everywhere I go, people keep telling me that. <laughs> well, there are a lot of parallels like that in this little scene because their foil characters take a shot. But even a little <laughs> bit later, Atherin starts getting emotional and Lacus tries to, like, touch his cheek and be physical with him like she did with Kira. And like Kira, he pulls away and doesn't let her. This is one of the few times where we see Atherin smiling. So That's a smile? Well, it was earlier. It's less a smile now. But so like, maybe he doesn't want to get rid of Lacus. Maybe he's just horrible at courtship. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that that's what it is because he generally seemed, you know, happy that she was there. He was like, "Well, you need to, you need to stay in your room because otherwise they'll get mad at me, probably." <laughs> <laughs> Again, we see Atherin being awkward with her. He clearly wants to ask something and can't, and she makes him spit it out. He's like, "Well, they didn't rape you, right?" And she's like, "No, nah, Kira was super cool. He's like the nicest guy ever and super strong," which sets Atherin off because he's very frustrated that Kira didn't come defect with him. And like I said just before, Lacus tries to comfort him and he sort of pulls away. So the animation on the Haro rocking in the background feels like it was added in later. Like, <laughs> it, it does look like it stands out 
alarmingly from the back. Yeah, it, like it seems. But I think it's because it's bright pink. It could, but I just immediately noticed it. Like even though, all right, here's the two characters. These are what I'm supposed to be paying attention to. Why does that pink ball look off? It looks like it was animated later. Like the color scheme is slightly off, or something about it is wrong. I know I'm supposed to be paying attention to these two characters, but I can't stop watching that damn sphere. Well, I mean, this is a show for five-year-olds, so they had to put something bouncing for they'd pay attention while uh, the older audience enjoys all the angst and triangulations. We get our uh, episodely dose of Athrangst. Yeah, I mean, Athrangst is a healthy part of this balanced episode of Seed. I'm also generally confused how he can't wrap his head around that Kira's just trying to protect his friends. Well, you know how relationships are. One side isn't listening to the other, and I think it's all awkward. I think he feels betrayed. I get that, but he's like, he said, oh, he kept saying something about friends. Yeah, he's trying to protect like, his friends. Yeah, there's four of fr- there's four friends he has on that ship versus the one friend trying to attack him. Ratio says, <laughs> despite the fact that the one is his childhood crush, these four are his current good friends. We also still haven't gotten Athrin's motivation <laughs> for being in Zaft, really. Have we not? I no thought way. he said it. Yeah, I think he did. Yeah, because at his one mother, point... Well, we definitely saw his mother's grave, so this isn't a spoiler. His mother was killed in the bloody Valentine. Oh, okay. I, I, I could have sworn that at one point, Kira and him are yelling at each other about what are you doing in that yeah. and what are you doing in that, and Atherin explains that his mom was on Junior 7 during the bloody Valentine. And Kira's yeah. like, I kind of got forced into it, bro. I do remember him saying that, but I still feel like that's why he kind of wanted to participate in this war, but I don't know specifically why he is here also his dad is super general supreme also that yeah <laughs> yeah we met that uh, so this scene ends was actually a line i really like where lacus is sort of uh upset that atherin's upset basically and he has this cool line about not being able to fight a war with a smile on his face that's peak atherangst <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty good you can fight a war with a smile on your face usually it's a maniacal bloodthirsty grin yeah, so no, but you, you can do it he's not mulaflaga so <laughs> or the comedian so the archangel is 30 minutes away from the rendezvous point which means they're 20 minutes away from being attacked by diarca and izak <laughs> natarl like zach was saying earlier basically takes charge and uh, well, yeah, maru is like you guys should take a rest and natarl's like no we got shit to do guys that actually showcases uh maru's inexperience in this situation of the so the combat commander is going all right fleets are conspicuous they probably can easily see where this fleet is so and they know where we're going and they yeah they know where we're going this is the only chance they have left to catch us so we need to be on our guard until we're safe and maru actually kind of looks pissed by natarl saying that this is another thing that's a slight change between the dub and the sub i think natarl in general is just a lot harsher in the dub and i've never been able to figure out why She's just a lot more, uh, I empathize with her a lot more in the Japanese version. I think part of it is that Japanese culture, being part of the team, is so, like, ingrained in them. Natarl just kind of acting out makes her sort of stand out, and in America, that's way more accepted, so they tried to make her harsher. But my read of that scene in the subtitled version is, Maru is kind of saying that, but she's not upset that Natarl is, like, contradicting her, so much as she's upset that Natarl is, like, stepping out of line and uh, barking orders basically ah. above her head, where she's basically contradicting the captain. Yeah, that's kind of yeah. how I read it, too. I'm just kind of surprised that Maru could piss at that, because it's a you know, pretty reasonable point to make sure that you don't get killed. Well, it goes back <laughs> so. to the... Uh, Natarl is a much better combat commander than Maru is. Maru isn't that... It- is like, we need to rest, whereas Natarl is realizing that this is the prime window for them to jump us. So well, this is where we have to be on, you know, red alert. Maru probably did realize, crap, she's right. And that's why she seems angry. Like, I should, she's you know, I should have herself seen, a bit. Yeah, she's, I both ang- she's angry at Natarl for going over her head and angry at herself for not realizing the same thing. Yeah. So really quick, five-man band archetypes. Clearly, Maru's the chick, right? Uh, I mean, which five-man band is this? The Power Rangers band no, no, is I mean, a pretty common one. No, which one within Seed? Because there are plenty of five-man bands within Seed. Oh, w- with the officers. Okay. So, clearly, we, we've got the heart, the smart guy. The hell is Moo? The big guy? The Joker? See, like, they fit much better into the uh, Spock, Kirk, oh, yeah, definitely. Bones triangle, which is why I brought that up before. Yeah. Moo is the Kirk, even though he's not the captain. Maru is Bones, because she's the emotional one. And the Tarl is more tactical than logical, but basically works the same way. Where she, she doesn't understand these human emotions, this need for rest. She understands firing missiles at the Blitz. 
So then for this specific scene, I was confused as there's only three people in the mess hall. That seems I assume they're just an off-shift. I guess. And the civilians must be someplace else. It's dramatically important that they're there alone. But, I mean, there's a civilian in the mess hall as one of the three people. It's the little girl. They never show exactly where they're really keeping the civilians, or where the civilians are staying. They they always show them as one mass, (laughs) and only as it is appropriate to the plot do individual civilians appear. I get that. It was just a little thing that was like, huh, why is there only three people in the mess hall? That seems weird. Well, there are three people so they can flash back to Maru basically kidnapping him, like I said. There's got to be a better term for military conscription. Take. It's not yeah. quite conscription either, but that, that we'll go with that. Commandeering. Shanghai. They got Shanghai. Yeah. yeah. And basically, Kazi and Sire worried that Kira, because of his piloting the strike and bringing Lacus, won't be allowed to disembark with them. And then the devil comes in, and then the real devil, Flay, comes in. Hey there, everyone. I hope you've been enjoying this week's episode. This is kind of a weird one for a couple reasons. Obviously, it's the first one that Kevin's on, although not the last, but almost the last. The other reason is because this is the first one I've edited. So if you've noticed a substantial drop in quality, that's probably why. I'm not really sure what to do in this segment because we're no longer running a contest. So if you guys start emailing us or having chats on the comments section or something, then we can talk about that in this segment. Or if you guys have specific questions or want us to do a bit, this is the time we do it. If we don't get a whole lot of communication, then I'm just going to start doing weird advertisements or like picking apart specific frames in the episode or something. And I'm pretty sure no one wants that. So make sure you get on and like chat with us and stuff. I think that's about all I have to say here. I'm going to let you get back to watching Flay being manipulative because that's pretty cool. And also one of my favorite plot things that never really gets expanded upon throughout the rest of the series. Enjoy the rest of the episode. Again, Flay's expression is great. She looks like she hasn't slept in a week. But she looks like she's trying to be the bigger man. She goes up and apologizes to Kira for being an asshole in the last episode. She kind of acknowledges she was just angry. And if what she did next didn't happen, you might be able to forgive her here. Because while Kira doesn't know it, this is the first time she's apologizing, like, of her own volition without Sai kind of forcing her to. So it does seem like she's matured a bit. It actually seems like a legit apology, too. It would be if we hadn't seen her attitude in previous episodes and scenes. Or well, see her attitude after this, where you realize that it's more of, it, this was all probably an act. Yeah, it's more of the after this, because she could have, losing your father is a big thing. It, she could have realized it all, due to what's going on. Even realizing, oh god, what I said is actually true. I was just trying to hurt him, but finding out that what I said actually was right, she might regret that. So she apologizes, it's kind of long-winded, but Kira has a total crush on her, so... He accepts it right away. And he's kind of a pushover. Then we get a weird menacing look. We get this shot of Flay from, like, below her eyes a lot. I don't know why they use it so much, but it is menacing and effective. It's a really common anime trope. I, like, I, I actually see it often. I really do like the shot, so, well, it's you know. A, it's a win- eyes are a window into the soul, and when she starts talking in those enigmatic things, and you can't see her actual expression on it, it makes you wonder what exactly is she does she mean? Because she has kind of a double the newest Doctor it. Who, have you? No. Or I guess the latest season. The current Doctor says he hates hugs because they're a great way to hide your face. But I do agree from a cinematography perspective, that's exactly why they do it. Because Flay has a pretty innocuous wa- line about how she wishes the war would end. Which, of course, everybody does. But because she they use that She smiles a little creepily, too. Yeah. Yeah, she's got that creepy shot. You can't see her eyes. It's like totally made it. That said, what is she going to do? She's one girl on a very powerful military vessel with a huge amount of control over the one Gundam pilot. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> well, and that, that also, so going back to what I said where Kira wasn't really trying, kind of implying if you had been trying, you would have saved my father. Well, honestly, I don't think he would have, even if he was trying. So then we cut to the bridge, and then we get the real Spredmanovsky particles to combat density of this, which is NJammer levels are increasing. <laughs> Because the Archangel is under attack, as we know, from the Blitz, the Buster, and the Duel, who have not shown up in a few episodes. And we get the cool activating phase ship armor scene. 
Okay, so we just saw they clearly have the position of the Nazca class vessel. Yeah, that's an animation mistake. Okay. Because this is not a Nazca class. This is a Laurasia class. Oh, yeah, that's right. This is the, not an animation mistake. Clearly, they're reusing animation to save money. Yeah. Okay, so we get a nice shot of Moo with a porno mag, which is pretty great. This I mean, obviously, all soldiers great. would have one, but... He's got this very angry, like, I can't believe you'd do this to me now <laughs> expression on his face. Kira clobbers a little kid running out of the mess hall. I feel like he tripped her, which seemed <laughs> extremely awkward to do. It's like, because it looked like her foot shot forward into his, and she somehow fell back. Also, what about the zero-G that turns on and off randomly around? Not Apparently it, no, right this, on a, now. this area has never shown to be zero-G. It's because of all that food from the mess hall weighing people down. Even Lacus couldn't float in the mess hall. <laughs> I think they have shown a bit of floating near at least this hallway, but never in the mess. Anyway, Kira creams a little girl and goes to help her up, and Flay's like, no, I'll do it. Well, this actually also, like the fake character development thing, is pretty good contrast to before where she delayed Kira by, you know, talking to him. Here she's like taking care of a situation for him so he can more quickly get to his mobile suit. Even though she gives some manipulative lines about how, it's okay, Kiro Onichan will totally protect us. He's the best. Although that ends up being a motivating phrase for him later or so. Well, yeah, she's clearly going full Cersei Lannister here and saying things because she knows it'll affect him. Again, at the same time, she seems more mature. She's taking action. But then as Kira runs off, we get this super creepy shot of Kira saying he has to make sure to uh, get all the bad guys while uh, squeezing the girl's hand too hard which causes her to run off. And whenever you make a child run off, that's uh, not good. It's almost as bad as kicking a puppy. Almost. I, I like Moo gets back into his uh, zero and swears about why they picked now to attack us. And I, because of that earlier shot, I don't think he's talking about the rendezvous. <laughs> no. <laughs> so once again, we get the ale strike, which is like 10 times in a row now. It's closer to five. Oh, but. Well, in this case, it actually makes a lot of sense because the ale strike is the most... Um, manu well, not necessarily the most maneuverable, but it is the most flexible to deal with three threats at the same time. It's the anti-MS mobile suit, for sure. I'm more criticizing the writers for keep giving us situations where the ale strike is the obvious one. Because, because obviously they just get to reuse this animation. Yeah. And don't you want to sell sweet launcher strike toys and sword strike toys? I do like the launcher. One thing about this launch sequence that also really annoys me is the fact that the power cable stays attached until it apparently breaks away. Which seems like that would be extremely dangerous when you have a cable at full extension that is suddenly decoupling. Yeah, why not just pop it off right before the pad goes? I kind of wondered that, too. <laughs> well, I but... mean, like, I'd expect the cable to, like, whip into the sides and start yeah. breaking shit. <laughs> well, like, it would make a lot more sense when it goes to launch. Last clear is the la is that cable yeah, attaching? Yeah, that, that would make a lot more sense to me. Like, all right, so the cable's still attached while it's getting on the pad, while everything's getting on. And then when the pad's ready to launch, the cable pops off and they go. Not this. We fly out and just hope that the cable but, comes off safely. But rule of cool, it looks a lot cooler. It, so. it does look good. So we get all the uh, Archangel's like, self-defense weapons going, coming online and getting ready to fight the three mobile suits. <laughs> Why would so, they do that spin? So, so this maneuver makes absolutely no sense to me. So I didn't describe, notice that the first time. Can you describe the maneuver for the listeners? All right. The duel, the blitz, and is it the buster? The buster, yeah. The buster combined together like back to back and back a to back in like a triangle they start spinning <laughs> and that's then a good trick they start spinning and then the enemy ship fires its lasers where they are and they separate and somehow manage to hit the archangel and the thing that confuses me is they clearly had the position of the enemy ship and it's not like the firing lines are going to change. I mean, it's not like the ship's invisible. So you can't, you know, oh, we're all going to bunch up together. All right, well, the, you know. While the, our ship fires at us. While all ship fires at us. Like, if you fuck up that maneuver, all three of you are dead. <laughs> like, why would they even do that? And they're, they're clearly coming in from beneath the Archangel, which is, like, the one place the thing doesn't have guns. Well, like, okay, so... even if their ship wasn't firing in their direction... Why would they get back to back and like spin anyway? It's stupid. Well, then, <laughs> cool. Well, Spinning so, always makes things better, Tyler. So Mulaflaga comments on, you know, oh, so they're doing that, you know, that kind of maneuver to hide their firing angle. And it just, that wouldn't hide their firing angle at all. Like they're giant lasers what? in a straight line. <laughs> Where <laughs> like, are we getting hit from? It's, it's, well, there's I mean, the firing angle. The ships are extremely slow moving comparatively. So, you know. <laughs> 
this isn't what Moose says, but it might be that they're like, okay, so the three mobile suits are there. They won't use that line of fire because they don't want to well, get their mobile suits. Actually, so the thing that this was a contrast to me is it seems like Maru says, oh, they figured out our evasion, evasion algorithm, which makes much more sense to me. You know, they were expecting, all right, the ship's going to fire, tack this way. Well, they, you know, all right, evade in our predictable pattern. And so they went, oh, they're going to evade like this. So we'll shoot, you know, we'll lead them in their evade pattern. And then they start evading randomly. It was just that Mulafaga yeah. line of like, oh, using the, you know, using the Gundams to hide their firing line. That That's not what that did at all. <laughs> they just okay. wanted the cool shot of the three of them <laughs> flying together and then separating. Uh, I do like that callback later where we're like, okay, let's go to random evasion instead of... Yeah, and I like that where it was, oh, they figured out our evasion algorithm. All right, start random evasive maneuvers, you know. (laughs) List lazily to the left. (laughs) Yeah, what does that involve? That involves just, you know, randomly shoving the stick in different directions. (laughs) Zig and zag! So here, they've analyzed our evasion algorithm, and that makes much more sense then. We get another creepy shot of Flay with some Rob Liefeld feet. Yeah, she honestly looks like she's about to pass out from fatigue in that shot. But she's not, like, cowering and complaining like she has in past battles. So, uh, Moo starts fighting, uh, the Buster, and this starts Diarca and Moo's kind of sort of rivalry. I love that he just shoots Diarca in the face and he's like, oh, I'm in a way technologically superior suit. Guess you have no chance. Well, and that was one of the things that was interesting to me, so, since I haven't talked about this, one... That the mobile armor's pods are apparently attached by some sort of line. Yeah, I Wire. only noticed that in this episode. Yeah, so. some sort of cable. It seems it would be easy just to, like, fly a Gundam in between the yeah. two pieces and snap that cable. Presumably they are moving around too erratically to actually be so, able to hit the cable. I feel like you could pair them on Bluetooth. So. <laughs> yeah, it, it also feels weird that they're tied by a cable when clearly, you know, they have all this advanced technology. Although end jammers, yeah. so. Well, Interference that, could that get is, in the I way. Guess. I, I mean, I somewhat get it. I just, it was one of those, huh, they're attached by cables. And there's no telling that if the cable is a backup system and they're actually controlled by a Bluetooth yeah, or something no, that, like that. Yeah, no, that also makes sense. I just, I noticed it and thought that was weird. And then... So the buster gets shot, and it's obviously useless. And then he keeps fighting anyway. Yeah, he keeps fighting anyway, but also the buster doesn't just leave. Like, if his his shots are ineffective, go fight either the strike or go help Nickel take on the Archangel. Diarca is really overconfident and kind of wants to shoot him down just to Maybe also not the smartest. I guess. It was just, that That, was the first thing I saw. My thought was that he's overconfident and wants to beat Mood just because he can. Mu and Diarca start their sort of rivalry that goes on from here, whereas Izak engages the strike and sends Nickel and the Blitz after the Archangel. And I actually really like the matchup of the duel versus the Ale Strike, because they're very similar mobile suits. They're both basically the original Gundam, with some slight modifications. Lots of beam sabers, lots of shooting each other with beams and blocking with shields. Uh, and we get a lot of clean new animation for it. Yeah, and I, I definitely like that aspect of the fight. This was something that I was super confused with because they fired these to me, which looked like anti-ship lasers at the mobile the mobile suit. Yeah, I feel like they should have some anti-suit or like anti-ship. They, we, we, they do have the, well, the they, anti-aircraft cannons that are on there, but like those are their primary weapons for dealing with mobile suits. They're like a mid-range thing. Is always my. I, I think it's kind of suppressing fire as much as anything. If they hit, it's dead. If not, they still. Have I'm to just dodge. saying, like. You know, right now they're loading the anti-shrapnel warheads. All right, well, we can't see the thing. We're going to just fill flack into this this area where he should be. Well, I mean, let's remember one thing. Those are big guns that they fired at him, but they are not firing the Lohan grunt at them. No, that's true, but... (laughs) No kill quite like overkill. So this is actually probably the best fight scene in the series thus far. It's got a lot going on and a lot of different dynamic things. And like they were alluding to, the Blitz cloaks and goes after the Archangel... So they come up with a plan where they basically are just going to shoot shrapnel blasts to reveal it. It's sort of been hinted before, but this pretty much confirms that the Blitz can't cloak and have its phase shift armor on at the same time. Yeah, because he has to deactivate it deactivate it in order to absorb and the... I think this is like the first major scene where we see Natarl really running the BDC. Yeah. We've seen it before, but this is the first, like fight that they actually wrote and had cool things happen in, so I, Natarl gets cool things to do. I definitely mm-hmm. like that. I like the fact that she's like, alright, we're gonna fire the anti-laser depth charges to figure out what his firing angle is when he shoots at us, and then we're gonna just fill that with flak. So then he okay. stealths again, and they just go, alright, disable auto-tracking, and just 
start firing everywhere. Screw that particular area of space. Just turn that into Swiss cheese. If he's there, he's dead or he's uncloaking. So, my one problem with this is Nickel writes this off as, oh, you guys developed the suit, so clearly you know how to deal with it. Or else, maybe they use, I don't know, logic. Because, like, it's a pretty logical <laughs> well, it, plan. They when didn't have to know anything about the suit to figure When he this says out. the line, it also makes it sound like, oh, I forgot I got this from you. It's like... Uh, That's kind of a reminder for the audience. Also, the last time he used the cloaking, it was against people who had no idea how to deal with it at all. And, and he, he completely wrecked them? He completely destroyed them. They also, he might be alluding to the fact that they're firing the relatively underpowered flak at him because they realize, maybe they probably do realize that while the cloaking field is up, his phase armor isn't up. Because if they thought, oh, if his cloaking is up and the phase is up, the flak won't do anything to Other him. Other than show him where it is. Like you said, the under, relatively underpowered flak cannons? Without the phase shift turned on, they're a significant threat to the mobile suit. Yeah. So does the face shift have to be off for him to be cloaking? Is yeah, that that's what thing? I think they're implying. Okay. Because he, he did have to hit a button that turned it back on, but he lost his cloaking when he did. So the fight is basically split into three sections. The Archangel fighting the Blitz, the Buster fighting Moo in the Zero, and Kira fighting Izak in the Duel, which is going to be a common split for fights in this series. But this is the first time we're really seeing it. And like I said, they really went all out in writing this fight. Man, these shields are actually really useful, yeah, too. Yeah, Gundam seed shields are inordinately <laughs> useful compared to other Gundam shields. I wonder how many beam rifles he's thrown away at this point, and how many that they've actually gone back and gotten. That, that's Kira's other nickname, Kira Weapon Discarder Yamato. He gets a bonus to his next attack roll whenever he throws away a weapon and grabs another one. That was one of the things that I was going to point out about this fight. So I could kind of understand throwing away the beam rifle. It could be out of energy. It could be out of energy. They never it actually established a could place be extremely it's bulky. Yeah, it doesn't have a holster, so it's like, alright, I follow, cause I mean, didn't the, the duel also throw away its laser rifle when no. it threw out its sword? No, it didn't. I don't know if this is intentional or not, but Izak and Kira are clearly a match for each other, and Izak actually seems excited to have an even fight for probably the first time in his military career. But Izak is a trained soldier, and he holsters his gun, because he will use it later. Whereas Kira is like, I have no need for this. It is time for man-on-man melee combat. God, I'm Only traveling. real men fight with swords. So anyway, there are a lot of cool shots of the ale strike and the duel crossing swords and blocking with each other's shields. And a lot of animation we haven't seen before. Whereas yeah. a lot of Diarca and Moo's attacks are actually reuses of previous footage. Although it also looks good. In contrast to their normal personalities, where Izak is kind of an asshole and Diarca is the cool one, in combat, Izak, like I said earlier, seems pretty happy to have a fair fight, whereas Diarca seems super irritated that Mu won't just die. The Archangel is also firing its uh, secondary battery at the uh, Laurasia class as well. Yeah, and it keeps taking hits, and there's even a comment of, we can't keep taking fire like this. Are we going to blow up? Yeah, they mentioned, like, you know, I don't think we'll be able to withstand another two shots. Yeah, they've got a blade That's of exactly shielding, what just right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it dissipates heat. They've talked about it before, but it, they're just taking too much fire. So the Blitz is right on the Archangel. It starts, like, jumping on the bridge and just shooting it, like in uh, that one Gundam game, Journey to Jiburo. Both Mu and Kira are engaged and don't want to risk attacks of opportunity. So they can't really get back, even though uh, Mirielia starts yelling for Kira to return. Meanwhile, Flay's like angst. Yes. Well, that's Flay's job now. And Kira has a flashback to Flay's dad's ship exploding. He has a flashback to scenes that he did not witness. <laughs> o- only Flay reacting to her. And he might have just imagined that. He, he, ima- he just happened to imagine it in the way that was cheapest for the animators. <laughs> the way it happened. I get that. But I'm, I'm just saying that was, that was one of the things of like... It's uh, an anime trope. I don't even know that he saw the her dad's ship explode. Yeah, he was in the fight. So. I know he was in the fight. But I don't but he think also... he realizes which one it was. Yeah, because he was like actively fighting... Atherin. That, Atherin. that was the right fight then. where they were trying to kill each other, but hadn't quite declared that they were going to try and kill each other the next time they, spot, they spotted one. Yeah, but... and then it was the, the Nazca class that actually takes up her her father's ship. So I don't think he, he obviously saw the aftermath, but I don't think he actually saw the ship explode. That said, just combat awareness, you're probably tracking when the big ship fires. That's probably true. true. So perhaps most importantly in his flashback, though, he gets the line that Flay says to the little kid, like, no, it's cool. He's totally going to take care of it. He has to. He'll protect us. And yeah, Kira get... will fight to protect us. 
And then we get that like anime close up, and then we get this weird shot a of seed. Yeah, of a seed kind of bursting, and Kira has no pupils. Yeah, he just planted yeah, the rage very, seed. very small. So yeah, <laughs> the seed runs into a rainbow and explodes. <laughs> because metaphor, I guess. So people who haven't seen this show before, what did you think of this particular part? Um, well, Kira going berserk. I yeah. mean, eh, it seems like a pretty anime thing to do. So. Like I said last week, he becomes a Super Saiyan, and now suddenly he can deal with all this. Which, as you said, is super anime. Even though it's shorthand, it is a decent explanation for why he's suddenly uber-competent. Even though he has been acceptable I, before. I do like that. I just, the the seed hitting the rainbow and exploding just really kind of yeah. threw me for a loop. I mean, clearly it's Gundam seed. Like, are there actual seeds? I don't even... Yeah, well, and well. If, if we were going for a metaphor, I would have liked maybe the seed to, like, bloom. sprout. Blo- yeah. Yeah, bloom or sprout rather than explode. Oh, the seed exploded. Well, doesn't that, doesn't that mean he's dead? Isn't that, <laughs> isn't that the metaphor we're going for? Kira has died? No, it means somebody will die. <laughs> so, uh, Isaac charges, you know, full screaming mode. Uh, and then- uh, Kira does something that he could have done easily at any point in the fight anyway. And dodges. <laughs> well, he's been dodging before, but he does the he does the traditional fighting anime thing of I suddenly teleport behind you with some mystical voodoo that even Isaac is confused about when he's like, "Huh? How did he get behind me so fast?" And he lands a solid shot with his beam saber. Yes, um, on Isaac's hip. My theory is that actually, in the script for this episode, he leaves the beam saber in the hip, <laughs> and they just didn't want to animate that. Because that makes more sense uh, about why he doesn't have the beam saber later instead of him throwing his perfectly good beam saber <laughs> into space. That was something I was going to bring up when it happened, because it's like, okay, I get him throwing away the laser rifle to use the beam saber, but then throwing away the beam saber to kick the <laughs> Why, the why would you leave the beam saber in the hip, though? Because couldn't you just turn it off and then turn it back on again? Possibly, but, um, you know, you leave it in there and maybe it'll explode. No, that's true. Or, like, jammed something important. I also get going for the hip, because he's got the best chance of maybe even bisecting the enemy Gundam there. My other theory is maybe he was supposed to throw it at the buster, and that would have been cool, because then he would it would seem like he's taking on all three at once. That also would have been acceptable to me uh, if he had, you know, again, all right, you're doing the Berserker Rage. I mean, there's some stuff where it's like, yeah, you do stupid stuff, like throw away your sword. But usually you don't throw away your sword <laughs> off in the distance. You, like, throw your sword at somebody to try and kill them. So we're alluding to it, but uh, Kira starts flying away, and Izak takes his gun back out and starts shooting. But Kira dodges in probably the worst animation of the episode. Yeah. But it's not bad. And Izak's like, what is going on? Kira lands on the bridge with a cool slash at uh, the Blitz. Uh, throws and then away there goes sword, the sword, like said, and then, then kicks him. Then we get... It's a cool knee pose, and we get one of the cool things that anime can do that a lot of mediums can't. It's something comic books have, where in a comic book, a blow can feel really, really powerful. By, like, freeze-framing on it, Because comics are all static. That's why when Bane breaks Batman's back in the comic, it feels visceral. And when he does the same thing in The Dark Knight Rises, it just looks like it was kind of a wrestling move. <laughs> Anime gets to eat that geek and have it, too, with uh, shots like this that freeze. Although it, it always struck me as strange in Gundam when they go to, like, they aim at other Gundam's heads when the cockpits are in the chest. Yeah, but the main cameras are always in the head, so you're going to heavily disable a mobile suit. You're not going to kill someone. Yes, but if you take out the cockpit, you're going to even more disable a mobile suit because it yeah, won't come back after The you chest after is that. also probably better armored yeah. than the head is. Also, Dep- well, the- depends. Gundam Neat! <laughs> so, yeah, he, he kicks him. Nickel gets, you know, that nice anime scream. Uh, Izak is from behind, but then we get a really cool shot where the knife gets used for the second time in the whole scene. It kind of ejects out from the hip, and he stabs Izak's uh, cockpit. And there's an explosion, and it looks like maybe Izak dead. Yeah, well, he also stabs into his laser sword wound. Good thing I stabbed him there earlier. causes an explosion in the cockpit. This uh, knee to the blitz reminds me of... Knee to the blitz. (laughs) Knee to the blitz uh, reminds me of playing Soul Calibur. I would always play Yoshimitsu, and he had a really fast... (laughs) I love He had a really fast mid-attack where he would knee somebody, and that was usually how I led every combat, was the knee to the face, because it didn't leave you super open, and if you were quick, it was usually faster than anybody else could charge up one of their moves, and it lets you move forward, so you would actually cover the distance to your opponent and knee them in the chest, and it just, that reminded me of that, of, I'm gonna knee you in the chest, ha! 
And I really like the shot on the knife attack. The knife is kind of weak, but just the animation on the strike twisting and doing it really quickly yeah. is really cool. And Kira gets to use basically all his weapons in this fight, which also makes him look impressive. Nice to follow up with a burning sword finger and, and then finish it with a hit end. <laughs> so. Yes. <laughs> he didn't use the Vulcans. No, that's true. He didn't use the Vulcans. The Vulcans aren't particularly good against these kind of targets anyway. So Nickel is like, Diarca, we have to get out of here because Izak is super hurt and the fleet is right there. And we get some reaction from Izak, so we know he's still alive, but his like helmet has been smashed, there's blood. So he might have lost an eye, is what I was thinking. Yeah. And then the strike lands on the Archangel. And Kira looks exhausted and he, has pupils again. He doesn't have the giant death beam, which would be really useful right about now, but that's still on the ship. Yeah. Even Moo is impressed by what Kira did, which, to be fair, it was pretty cool. He two-on-one'd. It would have been cooler if he had done something to the Arca, like I said. Kira, on the other hand, just sort of dismisses Moo's compliments. So, speaking of that, uh, earlier when I said I would talk about it later, when I read the episode description, it mentions that Kira takes on the Buster, the Blitz, and the Duel by himself and defeats them single-handedly. He does not do that. Do, that is not what happened at all in this episode. <laughs> so you're saying that the uh, episode synopsis lied to you? A lot, yes. Wh- okay. Where was the synopsis, just out of curiosity? It was the one I found on Wikipedia. Okay. I just know there's a Power Rangers episode synopsis that's uh, for a time travel episode that describes the previous time travel episode instead <laughs> of the actual one. And I mean, no this, was, this was just like the little blurb about, you know, he enters the Berserker state and defeats the three of them single-handedly. I was like, okay, he really only defeated the one. He then kicked the Blitz, <laughs> and then the Blitz was like, oh shit, our time window's done, we need to leave. Our, Actually, our time window's done, and we've got a wounded man. And we've got a wounded man. You know how they were ta- or how you were talking about not using the Vulcans? The two of them huddled up together right there. Would have been a great time to use those Vulcans, actually. Uh, except for the Strikes Vulcans aren't particularly effective against hard targets. It doesn't matter, you can and still the annoy them. armor <laughs> uh, would probably negate them. It would have been a fantastic display and a horrific waste of ammo. What else are you going to use it for? It's Vulcan uh, ammo. Yeah, I know. I feel Kira didn't even really two-on-one. I mean, yeah, he was technically two-on-one-ing, but it was... He probably could have after that. It was two separate 1v1s. Yeah, it was two separate 1v1s where... So it was like, I took out... I, like, kind of crippled the Blitz a little bit and then broke away... Or crippled the duel, broke away to fight the Blitz, ended up kneeing the Blitz so that he flew backwards and wasn't shooting the bridge anymore. Then the duel came back and I fought him single-handedly. At the very least, he was flanked. Uh, yeah, and it was pretty impressive. It, it it was still impressive, but it was like I just he not did what not you expected. <laughs> yeah, he did not single-handedly defeat the three of them because a he only beat one of them really. The well, other he rolled two just an left. intimidation check, <laughs> and then Moo took on the Buster, and somehow what, what it made it look like was that he wasn't actually able to do anything to the Buster. He was just tying the Buster up. So that it, it wasn't also fighting the Archangel or the Strike. Which is fair. And it's possible that the uh, Gundam's like jetpack things are not as well defended as the rest of the stuff because they aren't colored the same as the phase shift armor. So maybe he could have gotten a lucky shot. Well, we and the Buster appears to be the least maneuverable of the lot. Yeah. Well, and also because they're separate, they like you said, they might not have as good of a phase shift armor, which does make sense. At least to me. Or, like, maybe his... Like, you could theoretically hit his rifle. That would be annoying, right? <laughs> yeah. So. That would probably break the rifle, because I don't know that those are face-shifted either. Yeah. And it's probably hard to take a shot while you're being shot at, even if you know it's not going to do anything. Yeah. If, at the very least, it's, it's incredibly annoying. Them. Well, and it it might be that the, it was the side cannons of the Zero that couldn't really do anything, but the main cannon actually might had... Have actually had the chance of maybe not, you know, obviously not destroying it, but uh, if he keeps hitting me in the same spot over and over again, you know, that That's might gonna cause the problems. Or at the very least, it deals enough. It, it has significant enough capability to knock a yeah, it's got shot a knock offline. Back. So once again, we end the episode on Flay being creepy. Super uh, creepy. This time saying that she has to uh, make sure Kira beats up all the bad guys or the war is never going to come to an end. And ends on that super creepy smile. You know, she really wants the war to end. She'll destroy the Earth forces. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't think her revenge goes that way. <laughs> She's not by revengeous. <laughs> <laughs> so the Eighth Fleet seemed to consist of ten ships. So they would only need, like, two or three Zaft ships to be able to take that out. Well, join us next episode where two or three Zaf ships show up. <laughs> Man, I nailed it. All right, so this episode's pretty long, so I think we should just quickly do final thoughts. This is another really good episode. 
I don't know if I like it more than the last one or not, but the combat scene is really, really good. Kira gets to look like a badass. The Gundams, it, it kind of sucks that he only fights the other Gundams, but they haven't grown tired yet. On the other hand, the Strike has no more gimmicks to show off, so they kind of have to write good fights or they're just going to be stock animation and the same thing. Moo doesn't get his own mobile suit yet, 0 out of 10. <laughs> We're going to have a lot of 0 out of 10 episodes, styling. I just like, he, he has such potential and he's in such a crap piece of equipment. Oh, don't worry. It gets worse. <laughs> How does it get worse? Does he get in a ball? Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm expecting he loses the zero and is stuck on the ship going, I can't do anything. It's not that bad. I will fling porn bags at them. <laughs> <laughs> well, they are teenage boys. <laughs> it might be sufficiently distracting. Quick, distract them with boobs. You, you know, when <laughs> humans are aroused, we have demonstrably lower reaction times, so that might buy Kira the advantage he needs. All right. So thank you for joining us, Kevin. I hope you had fun. <laughs> I did. Yeah, join us next time when we watch episode 12, Flay's Decision. In the meantime, if you want to check out our other podcast, Last Time on Video Games, you can do that at www.lasttimeonvideogames.com. Do it. If you want to shoot us an email and maybe tell us your theories about how gravity works, you can do that at Gundam at lasttimeonvideogames.com. See you next time for a slightly less exciting episode where three Zaft ships show up. <laughs> Buster Rifles! Bye! get the Archangel and the G-Weapon with all its data down to Alaska. Yes, but sir, how, how could we... We must get the G-Weapon's development back on track. Zaft will no doubt continue to send new machines to the battlefield. Hmm. It burns me. Those pencil pushers who've been wasting precious resources on concessions simply see the number of soldiers lost in the battlefields as figures on paper. Very well, sir. 